Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Happy Mother's Day. Was that not cute? Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Chrissy. Happy Mother's Day, Joanne. If you are here for the first time, my name is Chrissy. My husband and I are lead pastors of the church, and we have invited um, our not his mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, to be with us today to speak and share the word. Did you like the coordination, how we walked back together? Okay, okay, yeah. Well, hey, we're so excited for you to be with us, join with us in worshiping today. Um, You can tell that this is kind of a next generation kind of service. We dedicated children to the Lord, and we have that Mother's Day tribute, and the sweetest faces, three particularly, um, greeting their mothers. But, you know, we really truly, we believe uh, in the next generation. And we say here at Project Church that generations are our goal. And there's something coming up that I want to um, let everyone here know about, and it's the first time we've ever done this, but it's called GLOW for young girls 7 to 14, and it's an opportunity for them to come into this room and experience a service and experience experience an experience (laughs) catered for them to understand and encounter the Holy Spirit. And, you know, they do things upstairs and it's wonderful, but we want to just say we love our kids and we won't always keep them just upstairs, but we want them to encounter the love of Jesus. So Heidi and the kids team, they've put together this incredible event for kids to have fun and understand their purpose and what God has called them to be and do. How many people know that ages 7 through 14 are formative? And they're very impressionable at that age. And Cindy, you've been working hard on this. And you guys have a lot planned for these girls. And not only do we have stuff planned for the girls, because you're thinking about, what about my boys? What about me? And upstairs, during that time of service, and the girls getting experience, um, Jesus, and worshiping together, and messages curated for them, upstairs, we're going to have a little parenting resource, a panel of specialists and experts in the field of parenting to serve you you. Um, Because how many people know good parenting isn't just sending our kids off to church. It's gaining resources and growing ourselves and developing new tools so that we can do this well. Amen. So parents sign up for that. It's a free resource on May 20th. We believe in the next generation and we believe in equipping you to lead your families well and healthy. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's be a part of that. And we want to raise up children and a generation that is committed to the house of the Lord. You know, we sang the song earlier, there's joy in the house of the Lord, right? Well, if they're not committed to the house of the Lord, they may not experience the joy of the Lord. The true joy of the Lord, the joy that comes in knowing Jesus. And so as we continue in this, on this Mother's Day, um, this Mother's Day message is really still a continuation of our Verified series where we are understanding if we are fans or followers of Jesus. If you were with us the last couple weeks, we, we've been talking about what it means to be a fan or a follower. And do you have the spiritual blue check, right? Do you have the spiritual, spiritual blue check that says that you are a true follower and verified and understand the love of Jesus? Um, 
we need to understand that. And when we understand that, we are committed to the house. A true believer is committed to the house of the Lord. So we've been talking through different epistles and letters that were written to the church. And we're going to be in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Where There's a giant Bible behind me. And it's a letter that was written to the persecuted Gentile Christians. This is a letter to the church. So if you're in this room, you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are, um, this letter is for you. They're being reminded that they're chosen by God. That song that we just sang, that we belong to Jesus, I think we need to declare that more often than we actually do. When we understand whose we are, our lives change, changes. Our perspective changes. And so this letter is reminding this church that they are chosen by God and that they have a future and that they have a hope, not just for today, but for their family and the next generation and the next generation. And it's a, a future of hope and a hope in eternity. So that's where we're picking up verse, chapter four, verse seven, verse 11. I'm gonna read that. And again, we're understanding how we can be true followers of Christ, verified followers of Jesus. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multi over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God, grace. Oh, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, if I can take a moment, I want to wish my mother a happy birthday. She's turning 87 today and also wish her a happy birthday. And Pastor Caleb, if it's okay, I'm gonna take a liberty to just tell you a little story. My father passed away in February and he's with Jesus, but it left a hole in many lives. And my mother lives in the Eastern part of Canada, so she is very far away from her children. Two of us live in, in the States and Two of us, we're just scattered, there are four of us, I'm the eldest. But when my dad passed away, I was there for a few weeks and then I brought her back home with me because I just couldn't bear to leave her alone. So I brought her for a couple weeks and it happened to be first Wednesday and we sat about the middle of this room and we worshiped together and prayed. And I looked to my right at my mom and she was just worshiping um, unashamedly, unabashedly. And next to her was Charlie, my seven-year-old granddaughter. And if you know Charlie, you know that she's a worshiper too. She had both hands like this for like two or three songs. And I saw my mom look down at her and then look over at me and look at my grandsons. And I saw her look at Caleb, her grandson, and look at Chrissy. And I saw the emotion on her face. And I felt like the Lord reminded me of a decision that she had made to the house more than 60 years ago. She was a broken young woman and she had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ and she said yes to him. 
She said yes to the house. She said yes to her house. And without really in my growing up years, I don't ever remember my mother faltering. Maybe quietly she did. But she pursued God that, with all that was in her. And I thought about what happens when we make a commitment because she didn't know that over 60 years ago in a small little church when she said yes, that the commitment that she was making would impact generation, another generation, and that 60 years later, we would be standing in his house singing praise and worshiping him. Now, please know that it's all about him yeah. and he deserves all the praise yeah, and all right. the glory. But my God, my mother partnered with God. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that because I stand here today because of her prayers and her faithfulness and her commitment to his house. I'm sure my mother had thoughts, but growing up, I never did hear her say one negative word about the church, the leaders. It was always positive and support. And so, Mom, in front of you, I just want to say I honor you for that. And I believe that that spirit has carried over here because what I sense, can I tell you as someone who has not been here from the beginning, I sense a very real and valuable culture of honor that you have all created because the house is you. Yeah. We're, we've made this our home, but church is people, yeah. God's people. And so I want to thank you for that because every time I walk onto this campus, I feel valued mm -hmm. and honored. Amen. That's, that's good. That's such a word of encouragement. And before we start thinking about what hasn't been in our families, can we remind you as her, as her daughter-in-law that she is not perfect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that our family is not perfect. Our we're, families. We're a work in progress which is the reason why we called ourselves Project Church. We're all a people in progress. And if you think that you are f so far from creating the life that God intends for you, his grace covers a multitude of sins. His love for you to bring you here in this room and to have you encounter his spirit, encounter his encouragement, encounter the hope that says your lineage will do great things in my name. Somebody needs to hear that today. He's wanting to do that in your house and your, your, as you stay committed to this house. And here's the thing, the, the thing about the house of God is sometimes we need to start saying the home of God. Because a house is just a house. It's sometimes just a building. And it doesn't really have life until the people dwell in it. But how many people know that the dwelling in the house gets really ugly sometimes? God is asking Project Church, if you call yourself a Christ follower in this place, and if you are a partner of Project Church, God is calling us to a higher standard to make his house not just a house where we do church, but we make it a home where we love one another well, where there is grace that flows in this house. So the goal today is to make this house a home. People are not going to be committed to a house that doesn't feel like a home. We need to be committed to the home, but we, the church, not the building, we, the church, are going to make it a home. We've got to make it a home this morning, so in order for us to build commitment into this house, 
we want you to be committed to the house, but we also want you to contribute to making this housed house a home. So this morning, we just have four um, brief notes to help you help us and help God carry out his plan to make his house a home so everyone will feel welcome. Doesn't matter what your age, what stage in life, your economic background, it doesn't matter. All are welcome. And here's the thing. Sometimes we do just say that, but we have to work at doing it and executing it. Amen? So here we go. Number one, we are going to make this house feel like a home, number one, when we understand the urgency. The urgency. Mark says it a million times. Immediately, immediately, the kingdom of God is at hand. There are people in this world who are desperate to know the love and hope of Jesus, and we've got to get urgent about it. We don't come here just to do church. We're on a mission to make this house a home. How many people like to host people in their homes? Me too. But my children, on the other hand, they get really nervous slash, I think you said in first service. Afraid. Afraid. Of you. <laughs> of me. Thank you. We're really honest here in this relationship. When the one day I was cleaning my house and nobody was coming over and Kanan just kind of timidly walked to me. He's like, are people coming over? <laughs> and I was like, what have I done? So parents, moms, don't even act like you don't ever feel that way. You feel that about one to two to five times a week, okay? I did, and I'm like, goodness, I want to have the urgency, but sometimes our urgency beats up people. Sometimes our urgency is about our timeline. No, I don't beat my children. Pfft watch out if you were trying to see me that way. Our urgency sometimes gets so intense that we do things in an unloving manner, but we have to keep love at the forefront, but understand the urgency. In verse seven, it says the end of all things is at hand. If we're urgent just to get our house clean, if we're urgent just to make a great production, then we're missing the point. It's not about the production. It's about welcoming people into a loving presence, the presence of God, the presence that is alive and well and heals and saves and restores. The end of all things is at hand. But here, watch me on 7B. It says this, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You know, sometimes we misconstrue this, mess, this verse to be like sober-minded. Here she goes. We have to be sober-minded and self-controlled, and we have to do the Christian thing well. That's not even fun, <sighs> right? Doing the church thing. She wants me to come every Sunday, be committed to the house, sober-minded. and we're No, God doesn't want to create robots. He created all of you so uniquely, so beautifully, and you are each an, an expression of his creation. So it is actually fun, but when we're submitted to who he has called us to be, then we reveal a new aspect of who God is. Do you hear me? That we've got to be sober-minded and self-controlled and who God wants to project, and that's him. We don't want to be about us. We want to be about him. We need to start being sober-minded and self-controlled to represent Jesus so that this world can encounter him, not our great production, not us, not who we are, but Jesus. So we've got to be sober-minded. We've got to be self-controlled. And here's the thing. We have a challenge because we, we want people to come in here and feel welcome and we could slip into 
the mistake of putting on a happy face and putting on a presentation and a production. But if we're not living out a self-controlled and a disciplined life and a life that's urgent about the mission and loving Jesus and loving others well and being all about the gospel, if we're not living that out six days a week, then when we come here on Sundays and we try to slap on a happy face, the people who are desperate for a real touch from Jesus are going to come in here and be like, that is fake. We got to be real. And the only way we're going to do that is if we're following him and living with the urgency, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week, when we're in our workplace, when we're with our families, when we're at the grocery store, when we're at the Starbucks line, when we're at the blueprint line, we've got to get sober-minded about the call that God has on his people so that they can experience a genuine presence of Jesus. That's good. Verse 8, Paul instructs us, to keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And he begins that verse by saying, above all, to love one another earnestly, above all. It's not just a piece of it. It's what we do above all. And enduring love for others testifies that a person is living in light of the future. And our lives are characterized by the godly love that we have for others. Proverbs 10:12 says much the same thing. Where love abounds, offenses are frequently overlooked and quickly forgotten because deep love forgives quickly and it overlooks frequently. How many of you know that it's easier to fall in love than it is to stay in love? It's easier to love sometimes than to keep loving. When we keep loving, it requires something of us. But when we love well, our mutual love of one another is how the world will see who Jesus really is. Now, the reason we are exhorted so many times, one of the reasons, so many times in the New Testament to love one another, and we read it over and over, Christians love one another, is because we are not made up of natural friends. We're not bound together by common jobs, common neighborhoods, common upbringings, common education, common politics, common race, common income levels, common nationality. What we are bound together by is common allegiance to Jesus Christ, who has saved us, who has set us free, and we come together to love one another, to serve one another, to make a difference in our communities. And I believe that it's then that friendship comes. It's then that love comes. It's then that community comes. But the primary reason we gather is the common allegiance that we owe to Jesus Christ. I love the thought of forgiveness and how quickly children forgive. Uh, Pastor Andy and I had four children. Caleb is our eldest. He had a brother, or he has a brother, not had. He has a brother, Luke, who was 16 months younger. And then we had two girls, Britton and Caitlin, a few years later. So how many of you know that in a household with four children, there are a lot of shenanigans and a lot of crazy things that happen? And I was always amazed by the example of forgiveness 
that I saw in my home. Because how many of you know that kids can duke it out and fight like no one else? Be hurt, wounded, angry, mad, and then they forgive. And five minutes later, they're curled up on the sofa together with a book between them or whatever it would be. And Chrissy, I saw a wonderful example of forgiveness yesterday with Charlie, my seven-year-old granddaughter. So we were attending Kanan and Kai's Little League game, and Charlie was playing with two other little girls. Now, they were playing with three-foot sticks. They were playing swords. Probably not a good idea, but she's the mom, not me. So... Um, They were playing with really big sticks. Um, but in your defense, Chrissy, it was yards away. But anyway. Um, I was, so they, they were also were unattended. Thank you unattended, for letting yes. them know that. So they were playing with these sticks, sword fighting. And I don't know what exactly happened, but Charlie ended up down. And I think the little girl, her name is Saucy, and she is a saucy little thing. And she just took that sword, and she just started beating Charlie over the head. And I don't know what had transpired prior to that moment. But another mom brought Charlie up to the bleachers. Again, because they were unattended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and um, so she was crying, and the other little girl was following her. And, of course, that dad got up immediately. Chrissy got up, and we happened to be sitting right next to him. I didn't say this last service, but his wife was at the Warriors game, so he was parenting alone, too, uh, that, that day. So he was by himself with all the kids. And uh, he took his little girl off. Charlie kind of climbed up in our lap, and, and she, in my lap, and she had a few snuggles, and she felt better. So at the end of the game, this little girl who was sitting to my left on her dad's lap, Charlie's on my lap, um, she leaned forward and looked at Charlie, and she said, Charlie, I'm sorry. And then she said it again, Charlie, I'm sorry. And Charlie, just so sweet and with such innocence and no guile, looked at her and said, for what? And I was like, how precious that she was so willing and not even remembering what had just recently happened. Now, please know that in no way am I implying that we don't set up boundaries and protections in our lives from people who will wound us, okay? But here's the thing about forgiveness. It is granted before it is experienced. And forgiveness is practiced before it's felt. Never felt before it's practiced. Now, forgiveness is costly. It will cost the forgiver something, but the profit will always outweigh the cost. I want to encourage you, never be tired of offering forgiveness. Be generous with it. See, our humanity will incline us to behavior that regularly weakens and breaks relationships. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, and remember, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So by that power, you have the ability to see the beauty and the joy in relationships through the practices of forgiveness and reconciliation. And at the very heart of our faith is a man who died for his enemies. You know, I'm so glad that Charlie knows how to forgive because I was having a hard time forgiving that other little girl. 
so you need Chrissy, to continue to, need to talk. Yeah. I, <laughs> but the thing that struck me about that, and I, the little girl is just precious, and they were just playing a little rough, but her dad, the whole journey from the sand pit up to the bleachers, was trying to get her to apologize much earlier. It's so, sometimes what is so difficult is the asking for forgiveness. And I think some of us are like, oh, I got forgiveness in the bag. Yes, I love everyone. It's fine. It's fine when it's not really fine. And when you are the type who just says it's fine, you're just brushing it under the carpet. And perhaps you might have an issue with asking for forgiveness. Some of us need to start owning things so that we can dispense true forgiveness. So this is next point, which is showing hospitality faithfully is just an extension of forgiveness. It says this in verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Did you hear that last part? Without grumbling. Hospitality, the definition of that word is the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. And so it struck me that this word strangers popped up because we're great at, we're great at hosting strangers, because you have no offense there. You have no history there. They don't know anything about you. So sometimes it's easier to be hospitable to a stranger than the people who are in the house. And I might be stepping on toes, but some people may have avoided the 8.30 or 12 o'clock service because you knew that certain people were in that room, so you came to the 10.15 service, right? Am I right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just try to make it light because I know that there's moments where we avoid others in the house and we're called to be their brother and sister, mother or father. And we've got to show hospitality faithfully. It's easy to show strangers and first-time guests the love that they don't or may not have experienced, but to show love and forgiveness to people in the house that we walk with every day. Romans 12, 13, it tells us, contribute to the needs of the saints. Someone say saints. saints. It doesn't say strangers. It says contribute to the needs of the saints. We wanna contribute to the needs of the homeless people that we don't know more than we wanna contribute to the needs of the saints. Am I preaching today? It says, contribute to the needs of the saints, to your brother, to your sister, to the people on your left and right in this very room. And it says, practice hospitality. If hospitality was easy, then we wouldn't be asked to practice it. You are asked to practice something that you need to get better in, better at. And we, as the body of Christ, we as the family of God need to practice hospitality to not just strangers, but to guests, visitors, and the people that we do life with. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18, it reminds us of who we are. We're a new creation. The old is passed away. The new has come. All this is from God. We are new creations because God, because all this is from God, who through Christ, when he sent his son Jesus, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Somebody say Reconciliation. You know, there's so many people who want to understand what their gift is and what they want to do and how they should serve. And if you don't know what that is yet, can I tell you that Jesus gave us the ministry of reconciliation? Some people think, oh man, hospitality. 
I know people, and I've probably been there one time, where I'm like, hospitality isn't my gift. Hospitality is their gift, you know? And it's like, I'll come to their house and enjoy all the things that they do for me, but me, oh, I don't know if I'll, I don't have that gift. And I realized, actually, early on in my life that I had a mother who was an incredible shout-out to you, Mom. I know you're watching, number one, online watcher. There you are, Victoria. Give her a shout-out in the chat. She's watching, and she was an incredible host. She could, ki- she could cook maybe, you know, 200 pieces of lumpia. You're starting to salivate. Lunch is coming for you, like, at the drop of the hat. Like, if you asked her to, she would do it. She would welcome you into the home. And so for whatever reason, our house was just so clean. And I was scared of her when we were cleaning. But anyways, <laughs> maybe that's why. I love you, Mom. Um, but then I marry into a family where the mother-in-law is an incredible host. And so I just almost felt insecure in hospitality because they did it so well. The examples before me were so well, was, was done so well. So even in the beginning, being married to her, I would be, or not to you, I'm not married to her, married to her son, I'd be like, I can't do this as well as you, but I can wash dishes. So I washed a lot of dishes at her house. Can She's I just, a great cook. She's, I thought you were going to say dishwasher. Thank you. You but are that a really too. good dishwasher too. But some of us are so insecure in serving and helping one another, serving the house, doing whatever, because we're actually fearful. But we are called to practice hospitality and get better at it. We are called to do this well. This is our ministry. If you're wondering what your gift is, if you're wondering what God is asking you to do, he's saying practice hospitality and your ministry is reconciliation. So get things right with whoever you don't have things right with. That's what we got to do. Don't You don't have to do. We're not a house of doing. We are not a house of doing. We are a house of being. And when we forgive one another, when we serve one another, we are helping one another get whole. We're helping one another get healed. We're not going to do it perfect. I, as a lead pastor of this church, I have hurt people. I've hurt my husband. But we are so hell-bent on loving one another well and forgiving one another constantly so that there could be unity. And so that the Lord can operate through us, show hospitality faithfully. That is our ministry. Together, we have the privilege of making God's house a home. And our final point today is serve regularly. And there are a lot of great synonyms for regularly, uh, like often, consistently, even spontaneously. Let me read the verses. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now remember that word, varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory. Each one of us are given different abilities and gifts. And when I look around this room and I attend Project Church, I see various people and a variety of people serving in many different capacities. And that's what makes a family work. If you are in a home and you have a family, you know that we all do our piece. We all play a role. It takes us coming together, working together, 
sometimes negotiating and navigating, but working with one another. We all have different gifts, and they're never exclusively for us or for our enjoyment. They're always for the benefit of others. It's never. Nothing is just about us. Paul said that we are to be good stewards of God's very grace. And then he said this, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Now, I think oftentimes we'll read that and think whoever speaks. Well, is that the pastor? Is that Billy Graham? Is that Charles Spurgeon? He says, whoever speaks, do you speak? And so what it maybe looks like is you speaking words of encouragement and life to your spouse. You're speaking. You're one who is speaking the oracle of God. It also looks like thousands of moms in obscure and quiet places where no one sees speaking words of life and encouragement and direction to their children. That's what he's talking about. It includes probably the words that you typed in a text message, words of scripture to encourage a friend. That's what those words are about. And then he talks about serving. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies because it all comes from him. And serving isn't necessarily that upfront, visible opportunity that perhaps attracts attention or accolades, but serving is every person doing their piece because each piece is as valuable as the other. It looks like Michael Gonzalez working diligently behind that back desk. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, so we can see, so we can hear, so we can worship. That's what it looks like. It's Heidi and Cindy every week, planning, praying, preparing for your children, loving them. That's what serving looks like. Anthony and Diana, who I know are two of your amazing team, who a young couple raising their own small children who are investing every week in your small children. It's Shannon Taylor who greets me every Sunday when I walk in the back of this room. She's faithful, she's present. It would not be the same without her. It's Gary Bailey who leads Project Heal. It's Nuni. You see beauty everywhere when you look around. That's because of Nuni's hand. Some of us know our gifts and we're walking in them. Some of us are still seeking to discover the gifts and the abilities God has given us. But I want to encourage you while you're doing that, if you see a need, jump in and serve because serving is also spontaneous. And when you jump in and serve, God may open up a door for you that you never even knew you had a passion for or a gifting for. Miss Nicole, you open your home, you love people, you encourage your friends, you speak life. You have since you were this big. It hasn't changed. I watch you serve wherever it is. It's people like you that make this house a home. It's all of us working together. And I do, can I tell one story? Do I have 
28 seconds. So perhaps the most memorable piece of Easter for me, and it was all amazing, Pastor Caleb's message, the worship, the spoken word, all of it, the, just the beauty. But I was running a little late because I was practicing hospitality, preparing for my family. I wasn't late, I was just barely on time. And I pulled into the parking lot and there were two young men who greeted me and I don't know their names, but they were friendly and warm and engaging and they extended love and honor and hospitality to me. And I felt valuable in that moment. And I parked my car and I was like, Lord, I hope everyone that walks on this campus feels the way these young men just made me feel right now. You know, when you're 66, you don't often hear young men say you look nice. I, I'm just saying. Um, but they were the parking team. And that is what stands out to me on Easter Sunday. Each one of us doing our part, making our house, his house, a home. This is such a challenge to this house to keep on serving, keep on loving, keep on forgiving, stay committed to the house because the generations, they need an example. The generations need to know what it means to feel like they belong, that they're loved, that they can make mistakes, but be forgiven, that they can still be included, that they, there's healing for them, there's restoration for them. And we're not doing this just for us. We are not planning our next campus. We didn't plant this church 10 years ago, or, or we're not planning our Rockland church soon. You'll stay tuned for that. Because we want more houses we want more homes that are a light for people to run to when they're in the darkness of their, their despair and their troubles. So church, this is, this is a mandate for you to make this house a home. Make your home the dwelling place for, their fa for a father, for the spirit of God, for your kids not to just encounter it here, but the presence of God goes wherever you go. May his presence dwell in your home. But I believe that there's people in this room who do not feel connected, who do not feel like they belong. And perhaps insecurity, perhaps fear, perhaps guilt, shame. I don't know what it is. Perhaps unforgiveness. I don't know what it is. But something has kept you from saying, I'm going to make this house my home. And I'm going to contribute to making it a home. But today's your day to make a decision. In the presence of God, we're always brought to saying yes or staying the same. Saying yes to Jesus or staying the same right where we're at. I believe he's asking you to belong. Find belonging here. Find his presence here. Find healing and restoration for whatever has kept you from the church but there's healing that's taking place even right now. Healing that took place the moment you walked through those doors because this is the dwelling place of the presence of God. Because there's people in this room that love Jesus and we're for you, we're not perfect. We are sometimes a broken family. We might have some dysfunction, but we are committed to having the perfect one perfect us and bind us together, heal us and restore us. There's a place for you. So would you bow your heads in this place? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe there's some who are 
needing to make a decision to say yes to Jesus, that I'm going to follow you. I want to be not just a fan, not just a bystander, but a true follow, follower, a true verified follower of Christ. If that's you in this place and you want to give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or you walked away from him and you want to rededicate your life to him today, today is your day. So on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus, invite him into your life, follow him, become a verified follower of Jesus, confess your sins, and just know him more, have a relationship with him. If that's you in this place, I'm going to count to three and raise your hand. One, two, three. Which you, I see those hands. There are hands all over this room. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, that, there's many hands. Oh, I love that. Proud, proudly. <laughs> that's right. You can put your hands down. Would you all repeat this prayer after me right now? Just say, Jesus, today I confess my sin and my need of a Savior. I invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my God, and to rescue me from my past, my present, and my future mistakes. I love you, Jesus. And today... I'm choosing you because I know you've chosen me in your name. Amen. Come on, give God some praise today, church. Would you all stand to your feet with us? We're going to send you out of here right now. Our prayer team is going to make their way forward. If you need prayer, you raise your hand to receive Jesus. We got free Bibles up here for, for you. We'd love to send you out with one. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need prayer. We recognize that Mother's Day is not a joyful day for everyone. Maybe today's been hard for you. Our prayer team is here. They want to pray for you. Any needs you have, feel free to come up right now. But I want to give you a couple instructions. First, we have a great Mother's Day photo booth in the lobby. Check it out. Uh, turn to the left. If you're a VIP, we want to connect with you, get you your t-shirt, your box, free blueprint coffee. And then, this isn't just for the mothers. This is for all the women of the house. Out on the porch, you'll see a tent, and you can build your own little bouquet of flowers with a little mini vase. It's awesome. And so we'd love for you to go snag that. So that's for all the ladies in the house, not just the moms. Church, we love you. Happy Mother's Day. Have an amazing Sunday. We will see you next week. God bless you, church. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.